Here I am sitting there, thinking I got another 30 seconds. I don't have another 30 seconds, but that's okay. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. My name is Rob. Uh, I get to serve here alongside some wonderful people, and I'm glad that you're with us. Uh, whether it's online or you're going to join us for our barbecue later, we're, we're just happy to see you. And if you know me a little bit, you know I, I do have some annoying qualities about myself. I know it's hard to realize that if you don't know me, because I'm just like, wow, look at that guy. But one of my annoying qualities is I like to ask people questions. And sometimes those questions can be annoying. I realize that. But I also like to be asked questions. And so this morning, we're going to end with you asking me some questions. If you want, you don't have to. Maybe one or two people, if anything that gets said, you can ask some questions if you're curious about it. Uh, if not, that's fine. We can just go and have a burger, whatever. Uh, but I'm going to start off by asking you a question. This is an important question. And the question is this. What is the most important thing you do each day? Now, this isn't rhetorical. I want you to speak to me. What is the most important thing you do each day? Eat. Eating. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you forget for a few days, you get to do that later, so hopefully you didn't forget. Pray. Absolutely. Praying. Intimacy with God. Fantastic. Sleep. Yeah, sleep is underrated. We should do that more. Worship. Sure. Uh, Speaking of sleep, please don't fall asleep during this time. You can do that later. Thank you. Work. Absolutely. You need to earn income. Fantastic. You know, support your family. Have a roof over your head. One more. What's the most important thing? What's that? Sports. Hobbies. Sure. It's football season. Don't get too excited. For me, the most important thing I do each day is brush my teeth. And I have to do it first. Because I've realized that if I don't brush my teeth first thing, I think about it. And anything else I try to do, I think about how I really need to brush my teeth. And so in the morning, I have a kind of a routine. It's a little bit relaxed, but I read scripture, I pray, I kind of get ready for the day. But if I don't brush my teeth before I start into reading my Bible, I'm thinking about how I need to brush my teeth. It's a distraction. My mind goes somewhere else. It's pulled somewhere else. Because for me, for whatever reason, that became the thing that if I don't do it, And really, there's no reason why I couldn't wait an hour. If I don't do it, it's all I think about. I get obsessed with it. Sometimes our minds are like that. Sometimes there are things that we come to mind and we think, we just have to do this right now. Right now. Maybe you're the type of person who has that kind of impulse, which is also a good thing, by the way, to go, yeah, we just got to do this right now. Some of us are more, we could do that later or maybe tomorrow. And that's not always that great. But sometimes we have that impulse of saying, we just have to do this. At the expense, sometimes, of more important things. We're in this series called Around the Table. And what we're looking at in this series is we're looking at stories about Jesus sharing meals with people. And these stories about Jesus sharing meals with people aren't just about the food they ate or the company that was there, but what was Jesus teaching through these meals? I mentioned last week that there's a rabbinic saying that I read somewhere that for the people of Israel, for Jews, they eat their history. So like meals were an important part of their life. It was a piece of understanding who they are, who God is, and what the world around them is all about. 
And so as we're in this series, we're exploring these meals, and we started last week with maybe the most important meal, which was the Last Supper, where we get the idea of communion from. And so if you haven't seen that or weren't here, uh, you can watch that online as we explored that together. And this morning we're going to look at, it's really more about a meal preparation story. And it's one that some of us, if we've been to church for a while, we might be very familiar with it. And I don't know if there'll be anything new here that God illuminates in our lives, but we're going to be looking at a story about two sisters who were preparing a meal, or not so much preparing a meal, named Mary and Martha. And as we look at this story, um, we're going to be looking at what was Jesus doing? What was the big deal about this story? There have been lots of people who have written books. You've probably heard other pastors preach on it if you've gone to church for a while. I have to be really honest, I don't know if I've ever actually preached on this story before. So maybe I avoided it for some reason. I don't know what's going on behind my brain. But when I look at this story, I think there's multiple levels of insight that we can look at. And hopefully we'll gain some insight about what Jesus was doing and why it matters so much and how we apply it today. So before we jump into that scripture, though, just please allow me to pray, and we'll start things off. Heavenly Father, I thank you for uh, bringing us all here today, uh, wherever we come from. I know there are some new faces here this morning, and I pray, God, that um, whether we're new or we've been here for a while, that we uh, enjoy each other's presence, but most of all, we experience your presence. As we're going to enjoy some fun after the service, I pray uh, we see the joy of being together in the service as well. And we remind ourselves that joy is a gift from you. And that as we experience that joy, you are inviting us into a life uh, of greatness that we might not only understand, but it's a life of fullness that is a gift through Jesus. And as we look through these words that were written so long ago, Holy Spirit, I pray you open our hearts and your mind and our minds to what it is that you want us to hear what it is you want us to know, and that we take these words seriously. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to look at Luke's gospel, and we're going to look at Luke chapter 10, verse 38. And the story starts like this. So, so Jesus has just done some, some traveling, some teaching. There's this great story about the Good Samaritan right before it. And then the story goes like this. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. Now, if we're familiar a little bit with ancient Near East, Middle Eastern hospitality, oftentimes if someone comes to a home, you are meant to offer hospitality. That's a good thing. That's what you're supposed to do. A little different than our culture, like if somebody just knocks on your door, you might not want to invite them in. But in their world, that was what was expected. So Jesus and his followers, his disciples, specifically his disciples, not just anybody, his disciples, so those who follow his teaching, those who uh, believe that he has something to offer, that he is a rabbi, a teacher, who are traveling around with him, who are living, eating, breathing with him, those who are with him are traveling and they get to this person's health and they say, hey, we're going in. And she opens, she, she invites them in, they're going to spend time together. Now, there's something happening here that we could easily overlook. Jesus is going into, from what we understand, an unmarried woman's home. We might think, ah, no big deal. For Jesus, that's a big deal. In fact, Jesus, who is a rabbi, so a teacher, 
would have been taught certain things about how to interpret and understand Scripture. And there's this document that we have still today called the Mishnah. So if you're from a Jewish tradition, this would kind of be like your commentary on Scripture. And the Mishnah says some very interesting things about our relationships. And one of those things that it says comes from Johanan from Jerusalem, and he says this. He says, Let thy house be opened wide, and let the needy be members of thy household. And talk not much with womankind. They said this to a man's own wife, how much more to his fellow's wife. His instruction was, if you go into someone's home, don't talk to the ladies. That's a bad idea. We're going to look at the next part of that statement as well. There was a general understanding that as a male, this was a different world, a different society, they had different ideas around these things, and maybe we do now, but as a male, your status was elevated and you weren't to lower yourself to a woman's status. He even makes a comment that it's even bad that it's your wife, so much worse if it's not your wife. They're teaching this, that this is the way the world is. But Jesus and his followers step out of the bounds of that and stretch things and go into an unmarried woman and her sister's home, kind of ignoring this teaching. The text continues that she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. His sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. Mary sat at the Lord's feet. Now, this statement could easily be like, hey, that's no big deal. She's sitting down there. But it's not just an idea of sitting. It might not actually be that she was actually at his feet. But what it's saying is that she was learning from him. The Apostle Paul uses this language when he talks about his own education. Uh, He says, I was trained by Gilemiel in Acts, I think, 22. Uh, He basically says, I sat at his feet. That's a common understanding of what that would be going on. And so Jesus has this woman who's opened her home and her sister, which probably he shouldn't have done, and then this other woman is sitting and listening to him, which really shouldn't have happened. That's what men do, not women. And so the text is going to continue. It says, But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. We'll pause there. Lord, tell her to help me. And we read that and we think, okay, this is what's happening. Martha, she's fulfilling the woman's role in that culture, in that time, to make the preparations, make the meals. And okay, that's fitting into that cultural understanding. Mary is doing something different. She is acting like a man in that context. Something that would be looked down on heavily by other people. And so then we go, well, what is Martha upset about? The amazing thing is sometimes when we are upset about something, we have a way of saying something that maybe isn't really the point. And sometimes we say something and try to get a point across that maybe if we're not paying attention, we can miss. Martha says, tell her to help me. Is it because she's so busy and there's so much to do? Maybe. And that's often the time we may interpret it. 
Or is it that she's really offended that Mary is doing what a man should be doing? Which also could be part of the interpretation. Mary doesn't like what's happening, whether it's because she's not doing what she needs help with or because Mary is just doing what men do. Then Jesus is going to respond. But before that, we're going to look again to the Mishnah. One of the things that says, come, the verse that comes right after that verse that we read before, so this again is the stuff that Jesus was taught and Jesus would be understanding, says this, he says, He that talks much with womankind brings evil upon himself and neglects the study of the law and at the last will inherit Gehenna, which is hell. So this teaching of religious leaders at that time was if you talk to women too much, you're ignoring God, and you're going to hell, which seems a little bit harsh. And here's Jesus goes into the home of two unmarried women, from all that we understand, and there's another story where they come up and they have a brother. He goes into their home, which he shouldn't be doing, and has one of the sisters learning from him, which she shouldn't be doing, and he shouldn't be doing. Or else, he's going to hell. That's pretty significant. And then one of the sisters says, tell her to help me. Maybe she's concerned. She's like, Jesus, I know what the Mishnah says. I don't want you to be in trouble here. Maybe she's upset that she's not getting the help she needs. Whatever it might be. She says, tell her to help me. And then Jesus says this. Martha, Martha. The Lord answered, You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Jesus' response to her in her concern, her concern that her sister's not helping, her sister's doing something she shouldn't be doing, which is learning about God from Jesus, and says, Martha, Martha. I'm not taking this away from Mary. Sometimes we interpret this and we look at it as like, okay, Martha's so busy and Mary's spending time with Jesus and that's what's most important. And that is important. Very much so. But there's more going on under the surface of the story. And Jesus doesn't say, Martha, what you're doing is a waste of time. He's just saying, I'm not taking what Mary chose away from her. Few things are important. One's very important. I'm not taking this away. Jesus is saying that spending time with him is important. Absolutely. But he's also saying spending time with him isn't just for the people you think it's for. Intimacy with God isn't just for the people that fit into the category of what people think intimacy with God should be like. He extends the boundary from men to women. That learning from him and growing in faith isn't just for one group of people. It's, in fact, for everybody. We see it in other stories where Jesus does this for who are called Gentiles, people who are non-Jews. He extends his teaching, his healing, his ministry to people who didn't know who God really was in the first place. Jesus is for 
everyone. And for some of us, when we get to know this Jesus, we start to think about how do we show Jesus we love him. I would imagine in Mary and Martha's case, for Mary it was to be with him, to spend time with him. And for Martha, she thought in service, that is demonstration of my love. And sometimes we do that too in our human relationships. Maybe we learned at a young age that if we got good grades and our parents were proud of us, we felt loved. So we became high achievers and had to do the best at everything to get that love again. Or maybe we realized that when we followed the rules or did our chores, we were loved. And when we didn't, maybe our parents got upset. So we thought as long as we do all the right things, we'll be loved. And maybe that grew into childhood outside of the home, where you started going to school and you thought, well, if I bring candy every day, all the kids will like me. And you start to learn, if I give things to people, they'll like me. And then maybe that grew into romantic relationships, where you're like, okay, as long as I spend a lot of money on these dates, these girls or guys will keep going on dates with me. And then it moves into marriage, where you're like, as long as I do all these things, my spouse will love me. And sometimes we have this attitude towards affection towards other people, saying, what do I need to do to earn love? And maybe it comes from a deeply rooted, scarred place when we were young, thinking this is the only way anyone's going to love me. And maybe it was like that with Martha, too. Maybe in part she was like, well, Mary, not only should she not be there, but she needs to earn Jesus' love. She needs to work for it. And so sometimes we take those human relationships and then we transplant them onto our relationship with God and think, I need to work for it. I need to show up on Sunday. I need to volunteer. I need to give money. I need to do all these things to earn some time with Jesus. And Jesus flips it around and says, hey, Mary's chosen the right thing here. She's just spending time with me. She's learning from me. She's growing. It's not just about what you do. Now, if we take that a step further and we look at maybe our own experience with God and maybe our own reading of the Bible, if you actually read it, you will know that it actually tells you to do some things. If you actually spend time reading the words of Jesus, he doesn't just say, hey, just sit at my feet, we're cool. He invites us to care for the needy. He invites us to worship God. He says, hey, when you sit at my feet, when you have this relationship, because out of the love I already have for you, you serve. You do things. But your doing things isn't to earn that love. It's a love that God's already given you, already offered you. Jesus, through his death and resurrection, demonstrates this deepness of love, this depth of love, that's greater than we can comprehend and better than anything we can earn. And so he says, you're not going to earn it. I give you this gift, but you have to live with it. And when you live with it, when you allow yourself to have this intimacy with God, you should naturally desire to do those things, to serve, to love, to care, to give, to show up at church. It's like if we thought growing up what we had to do was earn someone's love, and then we get to marriage and we think, as long as I make great meals every night, my spouse will love me. You're bound to be disappointed because your cooking isn't that good. 
But if you come from a place of security and say, I know I'm loved in this relationship, and I know they hate to cook, so I will make dinner. Not because I want that person to love me, but because I know they love me and I want to serve them. It is the same way with God. We don't do things to earn his love. Was Martha doing that? Maybe. Maybe not. But we spend time with him, and out of that intimacy and that love, we serve. Jesus extends the boundaries of his relationships with humanity in this story. He says for men and women, they can come to God on their own. They don't need someone else to lead them. That he is there for them. And that out of that intimacy of relationship, he invites them to demonstrate it to demonstrate it in how and who they are. And so the question becomes again, what is the most important thing you do each day? What is the most important thing you do each day? Truthfully, brushing your teeth, isn't it? It's resting in the love that God already has for you. It's understanding that he has invited you into a relationship with him and that in this relationship you can find wholeness and peace. And it's not a relationship that you have to work for. It's a relationship that's offered, but you can choose to accept or not accept. The most important thing we can do each day is remind ourselves that there is a God who loves you and that in that love, there is no expectation other to, to accept it. And out of that love, we learn to live a life that demonstrates it to the world around us. So how do we rest each day in that? Well, the first thing I would say you have to do, and I think this is something that Martha should have done, is you need to remove distractions. The text tells us that Martha was distracted by everything that had to get done. And if you look at it in the Greek language, it means her mind was being pulled in different directions or pulled apart. Sometimes when we have a lot to do, that's all we think about. So we have to remove the distractions or else that's all we're thinking about. I need to brush my teeth or that's all I think about. Remove the things you know that are distractions. And then you pray. Prayer is much more than just reciting some words to God. It is a continuous relationship and communication with God. It doesn't mean that you're talking audibly all the time, but you're understanding that God is deeply present with you through the Holy Spirit all the time all the time. And that in his presence with us, we are open to listening to him and to sharing with him when we need to. It might mean that you carve out a specific time, like maybe it's 6.30 a.m. You're going to carve out 15 minutes to pray, and that's fantastic. But as Paul instructs in Thessalonians that we pray without ceasing, we're invited to continuously be praying, continuously be dialoguing almost 
subconsciously, not going, oh, I gotta do this, or reciting something, but having a real conversation with a God who cares. So pray. All the time. Whatever that looks like for you. And then I think you also have to read something. So I would encourage you this week, read Luke. Read Luke's gospel. Mary grew in her intimacy with God by sitting at the feet of Jesus. The invitation is for all of us to sit at Jesus' teaching and learn from him so that we can find our wholeness in him. So read Luke. It's a great place to start. We're in it for a while. And as you read it, maybe you're not sure where to start. You know, if you have one of those Bibles that has the red letters, just read some of the red letters. For you, maybe you've been following Jesus for a long time, so you need to do more. So read a chapter a day. That's great. For some of us, maybe we're newer to reading our Bible or maybe not as good with our attention. Read a story a day. This story we just read was six sentences long. Somehow we turned it into 25 minutes. I don't know how we did that, but it was six sentences long. You can read that and ponder it and go, God, what are you saying in the story? Take some time each day, continuously be intimate with God, and read some scripture. Read Luke. It's a great place to start. And then here's the other thing we do to continue this understanding of who God has made us to be, inviting us to be and stay intimate with him, is that we pray again. Just keep praying. Keep the dialogue going. I can't stress it enough. Prayer is really important. Just in the same way that you don't get to know somebody if you never spend time with them, you really don't get to know God if you don't spend time with them. And spending time with them is not just speaking to, but also being present and listening and observing. What is God showing you in the world around you? How do you interpret that? How do you know that? Well, you read scripture and you see how he demonstrates. God invites us into this relationship just like he invited Martha and Mary into a relationship with him. And it was easy for them to get distracted, but Mary chose better. And we have to fight sometimes the urge to do all the things we think we need to do and remind ourselves that the important piece is to rest in that love that God has for us. And it's not a love we earn. It's a love we're freely given in Jesus. But we have to accept it. I'm going to pray, and then if you have any questions about anything I said, or questions about the scripture that maybe I didn't address in anything I said, I'd love to take one or two questions, and then you can have a cheeseburger. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you invite us into this relationship with you. And that in this relationship, you actually don't ask us for anything except to be with you. And that being with you invites us to a life that is so much more than we don't, maybe don't always see. You don't tell us that we have to do X, Y, and Z in order to be loved by you. You tell us that you already did what needs to happen through Jesus. You invite us into this relationship, Lord, and you invite us just as uh, you've invited people through history. And sometimes those people are not people we might expect. And that you demonstrate in the story that we read that your love extends the boundaries of our understanding. That just as you invited Mary to be part of this group of disciples, followers of you, sit at your feet, Lord. You invite all of us to, wherever we find ourselves. 
You don't ask us to be perfect to come to you. You remind us that you are the perfect one. You just ask us to be set apart and to be with you. I pray wherever we find ourselves this morning that we are just open, Holy Spirit, to what it is you wanted us to hear uh, through this story. I pray that I was faithful to the text and what you inspired so long ago, and that in that inspiration, we can find hope and maybe even healing in the ways that we need to. Help us to rest each day in the love that you have for us and find our identity.